Welcome to the Universal Dancer Podcast with your host, Leslie Zare, author of The Alchemy of Dance and The Alchemia Remedies, coming to you live from Cairo, Egypt, the ancient land of Chem. Journey with us to explore sacred dance, the sacred arts, the mystical and the magical. Join a community of like-minded souls seeking to understand the cosmic dance of co-creation through the sacred arts. Come along and expand your mind, ignite your creativity, and explore something new and something old. Welcome. Welcome to the show. So glad that you could join us. And I'm going to just jump right in. I'm going to introduce you to my to my guest for today. But just uh, a reminder that if you like the show, please share it with others. Please like and subscribe. That helps us to be noticed by the algorithm so that other people will also find the show. All right. So let's just jump right in. Dr. Karen McKinley Kernady lives in a suburb of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and is a second-generation settler of Scottish heritage. She is a dancer, writer, and educator. She began her dance training in the 1960s at the Hanova School of Modern Studies in body sculpture and the classical dance, the first modern dance school in Vancouver, where she was forever imbued with the spirit of Duncan, Delcroze, Laban, Wigman, and Menaka. Karen's work as a writer includes publishing several essays, articles, and books about dance, somatics, and dance education. Karen received her Bachelor of Education with distinction from the University of Alberta and also earned a Master's of Arts and a Doctorate in Philosophy from Simon Fraser University. Her teaching experience includes 30 years in the Coquitlam School District, being a faculty associate and instructing in the Graduate Diploma Program at Simon Fraser University. Her interests lie in promoting and implementing new ideas for the dance arts dance history, somatic movement practices, and dance education. Let's welcome Karen to the show. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, I think we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> we have already spoken about a lot, so we'll, we'll mm -hmm. refresh and we'll go back to it. Um, but maybe you can just begin at the beginning and tell us how your dance journey or where your dance journey began. Well, in my book and in my dissertation, which I was just rereading, I talk about my early childhood experiences. And I'm talking about as a three-year-old, a four-year-old, I loved to dance around the house. And my mother always had a record player playing like opera or something classical. So I just would be caught up in that music and just love that feeling of dancing. Um, as I got older, my mom did put me into ballet and uh, I took Ukrainian dancing for many years too, just even though we weren't Ukrainian because my parents had friends that were Ukrainian. But it wasn't until I was 11 that I was introduced to two wonderful women, Magda and Gertrude Hanova, 
who had started the first modern dance school in Vancouver in 1957. So this was in the mid 60s that I started. And my whole life changed because they introduced me to concepts in modern dance, ballet and Indian dance and yoga that I had never seen before. And it changed my whole life. I became somebody that understood dance in a different way. I wasn't just mindlessly dancing around and enjoying it. I was I was given the the bones, the structure of how to dance and how to express myself in choreography. So it was a whole different experience. And I stayed with them all of my uh, teens until I was about um, 19. And then I unfortunately, well, fortunately for me, I traveled a lot. I got married, I moved away, I had children. But then when I was about uh, 36, I moved back to Vancouver and I started back with them and I stayed with them until their deaths, dancing with them both. And uh, even though they were in their 80s and Gertrude lived till she was 99, uh, we, we still took class and a few years before she died, she didn't teach, but she did teach up till she was way into her 90s. So quite, it, quite a good example of what we can do as dancers. We don't have to stop dancing ever. So I hope not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's you think about um, an artist can paint, you know, a, a musician can still play the piano uh, or the guitar. But dancers often, you know, if you've been a professional, you might have injuries. Uh, you know, our bodies change as we grow older. <clears throat> and so I, I really believe that we need to keep moving in some way that's enjoyable. Or it that you change. Yeah. What we're doing yeah. may change, but I think it's about continuing to move. Mm -hmm. So I find in, in my life now, I'm, you know, older <laughs> and uh, I still do my yoga every day, especially, you know, if you've got pain or, or sore, I've had plantar fasciitis. I got rid of it with stretching and yoga. Um, I take uh, dance classes again now that the pandemic's kind of coming down I, I'm back to my um, we're, right now we're doing Argentine tango and I also am part of a, a writing group called writing through the body where we use something called continuum I don't know if you've heard of that Leslie have you heard of continuum I've heard of it but I don't know very much about it yeah it's a fascinating um, practice somatic practice so it was started by a woman called Emily Conrad and viewers can look up. There's lots of uh, interviews with her and uh, her talking about her um, process on YouTube. It's about we're 70 to 80% water in our bodies. And she, over many years, she calls it an inquiry that's never finished. She She's passed away now, actually. But it's about exploring our water in ours, in the earth and in the cosmos, cosmos. And she had developed this way of meditation with sound where you're connecting to the earth. Like we, we, we go through what the uh, instructor is called a dive where we're laying flat on some surface. And she talks us through and makes us vocalize that vibrates your body with the sound it's it's 
I can't even explain the feeling. So it's humming and it's ohm, it's all these different sounds. And then we all get up and we write something with, she drops a poem or some, some prompt to us and then we share our writing. And it's, it's, I'm amazed at what people like it's, it's on zoom. So we've got people from California and New York state and, it's great because that's one of the uh, perks of being on Zoom is you can have lots of different people join your yes. group. So, yeah. And that's something I do every Friday for like two and a half hours. And oh, that it's wonderful. a wonderful woman called Ingrid Rose, who was a student of Emily Conrad. So, yeah, wow. it's yeah, it's a wonderful experience. So, no, it does. Movement. I mean, in my own writing. Well, actually, that's how I channeled the whole first book was I wrote while I, <laughs> I had a notebook in my hand while I was dancing and everything just sort of came in. So I really do think that dance is a great way to connect to something greater that that can bring in all kinds of very creative, I'm sure, artwork as well. I'm not inclined in that way, but um, whatever it can open that channel. Yeah. Yeah. So creativity. You, Go ahead. You've recently published a book, a new book, Our I Love have. Affair with Dance. So you, tell us I, a bit am I about to show the cover. <laughs> yes, of course. And this, of course, Beautiful. is about this book is about my two dance teachers. And um, they had a love affair with dance all of their lives. And I would say I do too. So people that know that feeling about dance. You don't, I don't have to explain the title because it's just like if you are an artist or uh, a musician that's deeply connected to what you're doing and it doesn't, you don't need fans. You don't need people saying, oh, you're wonderful. It's just that inner experience that you're having that satisfies you and makes you feel that there's your purpose on earth is to feel that feeling. And um, for this podcast, I would define it as a spiritual experience which and we this were... is also the book is about them but it's also about your it's it's about your journey with them or it's kind of a, a parallel uh, or how does how does it all come together well I start out with me finding them when I was a child and my my journey with them and they were already almost six they were in their 60s when i started with them but i never thought about that as a kid right i just they were like royalty right they were very stern sometimes they they were from uh, bohemia so they were born in 1903 and 1905 and so they grew up in this kind of uh european way of looking at things maybe but at that time, this was pre-World War One, so um, it was, you know, very rural probably, but then the war came and the whole of Europe changed. The Austria-Hungarian um, Empire dissolved and Czechoslovakia was created. And so their area of Czechoslovakia was German speaking. And this is what caused, of course, Hitler to claim that this was part of Germany, right? But they grew up and in the 20s and became these liberated women swept up 
in this time of the, they call it the Weimar golden era. I don't know if people have heard of that, but it was this time for artists uh, that flourishing of all the arts all over Europe. They do call it the German body culture, but it wasn't just German. It was, they danced in, uh, when they got, I think Gertrude was 18, she went to Vienna. She joined the opera ballet uh, school and performed. And then Magda joined her so, uh, shortly after that, uh, when she turned, I think she was 17 when she went. And then their mother died. So they went back to their, their town called Carlsbad. And um, then after a few years, they, they established a dance school there. Then they started going all around Europe dancing. And Magda was very much in love with the ballet. So she danced with the Paris Opera Ballet, very famous dancer, uh, Max Turpus and various other schools. Gertrude was more into modern dance and she danced with Mary Wigman, who was a very famous um, German dancer and choreographer. She danced with um, this place called, um, it was sort of a, a school for Delcois, um, Eurythmics. Um, they were really into that too. And, and you can look all this up on the internet. And they also, uh, Gertrude also danced at the Folie Bergère, which was in Paris. So I've got pictures, which they gave me, or I made copies. Um, I've got lots and lots of pictures of all of this in the 1920s. So it's, it's kind of exciting to have a little glimpse into their experiences. And you know, I've read a lot of books about this time, and there's a very famous um, professor in California called uh, Topher. His last name is Topher. And he talks about nudity and modern dance in this time period. It's a great book. He really does. His research was fascinating. And he talks about there were thousands of young women that this body culture liberated them from the old way of looking at the body as, you know, uh, something to cover up and be prim and pro prim and, and uh, you know, they, the world changed in the 1920s, right? Women's clothes changed, hair got 20s. cut off. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, and it was the same in Europe. So they were part of this new wave of uh, the way people looked at the body. And they, they also, um, with Mary Wigman was very famous. She, she trained with uh, Rudolf Laban. And Rudolf Laban, his whole um, structure of uh, how to do, how to uh, look at choreography and the body and movement, and also his Laban notation as a way of recording choreography, is all over the world now. And they later in their lives lived in London and did train with him directly. But at that time in Europe, this whole wave of this notion of the naked body as beautiful and as expressive. And it was it was a huge, beautiful thing happening at this time. Now, unfortunately, when the Nazis started to move in, they outlawed nudity, they uh, imprisoned artists of all kinds, gypsies, homosexuals, everybody. It was just a terrible time. And even in 1932, even though the war didn't break out to 39, uh, my teachers were Jewish and it didn't seem to matter too much before, but all of a sudden it mattered a lot. And Gertrude had been uh, 
what's the, became a fiance of a, a man from Bombay, which is again quite unusual in 1932. And she had made plans to uh, finally marry him. They they kind of put off getting married for a long time. They were quite interesting women. They always said they never wanted to have children. And they always said marriage and husbands didn't matter to them. But they did marry. And Gertrude did move to Bombay in uh, 1932. And uh, she kind of left. Magda had married a Czech uh, husband. And their, their mother was passed, but their dad was a doctor and their, their mother was actually a doctor dentist. So the quite interesting family. And Magda, I guess, after, you know, another year passed, saw how dangerous things were getting if you were Jewish. So the father actually had everything, all his bank accounts, everything frozen. And he escaped to London and asked Gertrude for money. And he got he went to Bombay and then they persuaded Magda and her husband to come to Bombay. So they were very fortunate that they got out before um, I, after I was reading many things about what happened in this time, you know, all the, um, the temples were, were torn down by the Nazis and the, any statues of Jewish like composers or anybody were all torn down. Um, and this is before the war started. So they, they moved in and, and set up, um, camps and, and concentration camps um, way before the war started. This was all, all going on as far as I was reading. But in Bombay, it opened up this whole new world for them. Um, Gertrude was like, it's funny how I knew them so well, right? But maybe I didn't. Like, you know, you know people what they show you, right? So Gertrude was the pessimist and Magda was the, the positive more open she liked children a little bit she liked children Gertrude didn't really like children she didn't want to waste your time with children but Gertrude started a whole new career and I have in my book I show all these posters of you know her first performances and she changed her name their last name was H-A-H-N Han and they just added Ova on the end and most uh, Czech people do that if you're a woman right so she became Gertrude Hanova, and Magda did the same thing when she arrived a year later. And they set up a school and teaching uh, Delcroix's Eurythmics, and they taught modern dance. And they also taught at private girls' schools. Uh, I've got all the evidence and all the they, – they left me newspaper clippings and photos and letters and notes from their presentations. So in Europe at the time – I guess dance schools would have a lecture demonstration before the performances. And they kept that model all through their lives, even when I was with them in Vancouver, where you talk, talk to your audience about what you're doing and why. And they were so into, uh, I know we, we call it somatics now, but it was about healthy body. It was about exercise and dancing as a spiritual connection. So in India, I think they even had sort of paused to, they studied Indian dance and yoga. And I think they saw, and I talk about this a lot in my book, they had, they saw a different connection um, as Shiva, the creator, <laughs> danced the mm -hmm. world into being. Um, they, they downplayed the fact they were Jews. 
um, they always said to anybody, I heard them say that they weren't political or religious. And then Gertrude would go, except with, and she'd laugh and she'd say, we worship the muse, the Greek muse of dance, Terpsichore. And then she'd smile, you know, like, ha, ha, ha. But it, they actually, to me, they always um, had this connection when they danced to something higher and greater that you saw in their faces. It was a joy. It was, that was the joy, their love affair in their whole lives was this connection that they had with dance. And they they gave their students this by, they were very serious about the dance. They called it the dance. They're very serious and their conviction was contagious. You got what they were saying and felt it yourself. So I don't know if you're familiar with modern dance history, but Isidore Duncan was uh, a very famous dancer who was the first person to throw off the dance shoes, wear Grecian robes, and feel in her body uh, a connection to nature and the universe. And um, they they had grew up with that kind of notion. And so that's how we felt. If you were a little kid in their class, you felt you were Isadora Duncan for an hour, right? And then you went home and you were just yourself again. But in that classroom, you were you were finding some beauty with movement and some connection and they never used the word spiritual um but it was there it was there in the in the atmosphere you know we were doing something that was serious and important and they always stressed um improvisation at the end of the class so that you were you that you weren't trying to be a cookie cutter of them you were you were yourself creating your own movement. And when I did a lot of research, I found this is what Mary Wigman and Rudolf Laban said and believed. They said, we are all dancers. There's a dancer within us that's ready to come out. And sadly in the world, most people don't have that connection, right? Um, they don't dance. Not anymore, yeah. And so, yeah. You know, a lot of my work, it, my, when I was still working, uh, now I'm retired, I was a elementary school teacher for 30 years, and I definitely used the Hanover uh, method and style to infuse children with dance. And I learned, I figured out how to do it in, you know, not just the PE class, um, but in mathematics you can get kids to stand up and and show fractions with movement mm -hmm. and you can get kids to show add and subtract and multiply and divide in their bodies with you know i i infused it into lots of subject areas and uh explored many subjects and uh luckily the the schools i was in embraced that they wanted to see kids getting up and doing something, not just uh, singing maybe in a choir, but movement. So it was, it was really uh, satisfying for me. And then I also taught at the university how uh, I taught courses to uh, teachers that were already teaching how to infuse dance and music into your classroom. So I also found that really satisfying. And it's interesting to me, a lot of the teachers were like, oh, you expect us to get up and move around? Like an hour of the class was them dancing. And I went, mm -hmm, you got to do it if you want to teach it, right? <laughs> and then they, most of them- You might just, learn something as well, yeah. <laughs> they did love it. 
So, I mean, you can use this very structured um, uh, way of teaching uh, Rudolf Laban's um, movement elements to people. So he, he defined, you know, movement, you can use, look, exploring space, you can explore how the body can move and you can look at time and effort. So those were the things that he really stressed. And then there's all these ways of looking at those four things. Um, and you can create, there's tons of books, you know, uh, of lessons that he, um, not just him, but um, other people have sort of, he's very famous, explored his methodologies. So, but anyway. So they when have, did they, sorry. when did they go to Vancouver then? They, from uh, India, they went to Vancouver yeah. or? Okay. Well, they were in India for 16 years and the war broke out. They were very fortunate that they, they were there. They, it was incredible. I mean, I, I guess historically people don't realize how many Indian people under the British fought in World War II and died. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of a, we're, you're, I know you're living in Cairo, but if you're in North America, it's a very narrow North American view of the world sometimes. And when you look, start looking at other parts of the world and what was going on during the war, World War II, it's uh, it's interesting because it's it's not just uh, the Americans came in and saved everybody. You know, it's like there's a lot a lot of other things going on. But after the war, they uh, they were still married, but they both divorced their husbands in 1949 and moved to London, England, and set up a school. And studied with Rudolf Laban and Sigurd Lieder, who very famous um, choreographers and, and movement um, educators. So they, I don't know, they couldn't go back to Czechoslovakia because it was the, what happened in Czechoslovakia after the war is the Russians took it over. Mm-hmm. And so, and then before that, I'm sure the Nazis confiscated all that their house and everything they had too so there was really no no way they could go back there and they both spoke english quite well by this time having lived in india so that was the the language of the of the the raj or not the raj the indian the the british uh what what they called the the overlords <laughs> um and then after living in london uh from 19 19- 49 to 57, Magda met some people at a party and they were from Vancouver. And she goes, oh, she told me this. She said, I asked them, was there any modern dance in Vancouver? And they said, not that we know. There's lots of ballet class, you know, schools. And she, Gertrude had always been the one that kind of was the one that set everything up and directed them, the older sister. But this time Magda decided and she just got on a boat and she went to Vancouver and she, uh, you probably heard of the, the Young Women's Christian Association, YM, YWCA. She got, first of all, started teaching classes there in Vancouver. And then she set up her own dance school and Gertrude saw that she, what, you know, she saw it was really a wonderful place to live. She closed their school in London and she moved to Vancouver with Magda and I mean, they were, they knew how to promote themselves, I guess, from living in Bombay, you get your name in the paper, you get some articles, and they connected with the German, you know, society, and they connected with all these different, you know, groups that were uh, active at the time, in the late 50s, early 60s. 
And they attracted students right away because their style, I mean, there was a lot of dance schools, yes, but not, nobody taught, they didn't combine the Indian yoga, ballet, modern dance the way they did. It was uh, quite unique at the time. And um, I mean, now everybody does yoga, right? But at the time, I, I don't think it was so no. well known. And no. uh, I was very lucky to, to go there and be there. And as they got older, I mean, yeah, the, cl the school wasn't as big anymore, right? As, as they got into their 80s, but they had very loyal students that stayed with them and aged along with them, you know, and, uh, and Magda sadly died um, in 1992 from a stroke. She was 87. And, but Gertrude lived till she was, I guess, no, Gertrude lived 10 years longer. So she was 99 when she died. Yeah. Well, and I still took classes, even, you know, even though Magda died, I, I would go pick Gertrude up after my work and I would take her to the studio we had a, you know, we'd have a class, we do choreography, I take her home. And at the end, she didn't want to go sometimes if she wasn't feeling well, but, you know, I still would go buy Indian food and we'd have Indian food together because <laughs> she still loved her Indian food. And, you know, she was, she did okay. She, there was a, another student called Talia that really was wonderful for, to them. She, she, she lived near them. I lived quite far away from them, about an hour drive. She lived in, right near them and she looked after them and, and made Gertrude stayed in her own apartment till she was 99. So that's because of Talia Frith that she, she was, you know, her, not her caregiver, but her, she absolutely was there for her. And if, and then, you know, if she didn't have her, I don't think she could have managed, but yeah. And they loved dance and going to the theater and everything about it till, you know, to the end. So you know, I think if you love something the way they did, it stays with you and it gives you pleasure and a feeling uh, of being in the world that, you know, it, it can't be equaled with a video game or uh, anything electronic. <laughs> it's uh, embracing nature and the, the world, the earth, and realizing that we have our pulses and our movement in our bodies, right? As as I was doing, talking about continuum, Emily Conrad talks about um, our body is movement inside and people forget this, right? We are mirroring the earth and the cosmos in our movement. It's, it's happening all the time. We're not stationary. It's, it's flowing, the blood, the everything inside of us. And so when you align that somehow with the earth, and I know there's a lot of people that are doing this with somatics, it's, it is an exploration of something quite different than the mundane world. You know, it's, it's um, something, it is something tangible too. I, I think people that start exploring these different somatic um, methods will find that they go, Oh, I didn't realize, you know, it's like when you discover meditation, you, you go, Oh, I didn't realize that, that this yeah. is real. Yeah. And I think for me, that's how I would define spirituality. For me, it's that alignment with nature and with everything around you, with the non-material world, with everything around you and kind of bringing it together. And I think dance really lends itself to that. Let's talk about that a little bit, the, the spiritual nature of dance. Well, it's funny. I 
my dissertation, which is now from 2013, so it's quite a few years ago now, my topic was uh, called Uncovering the Essence of What Animates Us Beneath the Dance. And I used that, um, how to discover this essence, which I think of as that feeling. Now, if our feelings real, right? Feelings are real. But I used, I had to frame this in an academic way. And I was so blessed that I had two supervisors who were um, encouraging me not to write in the academic, strict kind of boring way, <laughs> but use a poetic way of expressing this. Make my work readable to others, you know, not just academic people. I don't know if you ever read some academic work. It's you got to really even even if you have a good grasp of English, you're you're looking at words like uh, you're figuring out what they're talking about. Um, so I really was lucky that I could write in this way. I was encouraged to write poetically, but you still needed to define what you're talking about. So the first chapter, it, it looks at um, backing up this idea that it's legitimate of a spiritual um, essence of dance. And what I did was I looked at, choreo I read choreographers, I, I looked at phenomenologists. I looked at uh, all sorts of um, somatic work. And it's amazing how many people mention this spark, this feeling, this joy that breaks out inside them when they dance. And so it was very easy to legitimize what I was saying, because it wasn't just this flaky idea I had. It was real and backed up with all these people. So famous dancers, um, Martha Graham, the body is a sacred garment, right? She would go uh, before a performance. She called it her holy of holies, go backstage in this room and prepare herself. And if you've ever seen Martha Graham's work or her, I, I was very lucky. I got to see her many times. That woman projected something amazing um, in her dance. And, and most of her dances were of a spiritual nature, uh, exploring Greek myths and uh, all sorts of different topics um, where she just was riveting. It's, it's amazing. And so she wasn't religious. So when I'm talking about spirituality, I'm not talking about religion. Um, so I, I was just looking over some of my notes um, for my dissertation so I could prepare today and remember what I said. It's funny how you, it's easy to, I've written this book, which is all, you know, their, their story. It's the story of the Hannah sisters' lives, but it's also infused with, um, I call it uh, creative nonfiction. So you take the real truth, but you add in your experiences. So I have pictures of them where I just pretend I'm them. And what, what were they thinking then? Or what were they going through at the time? So especially when they get to India and um, different times when they were young in Europe, I have so many beautiful pictures of them. And it's interesting how um, in the books I've read about this Weimar golden era, many artists, there wasn't just these big famous names. There was hundreds of artists, but many of their lives were the, the, the uh, trail of paper trail of their lives was destroyed because of the war. And this, this uh, one author I read said, 
little is left to describe their lives. They just have little, like a few photographs. There's nothing to write a whole book about. And I'm, I was thinking when I read that, I thought I'm so fortunate that I have the beginning and the end of their lives in pictures to show their life. So it's, it's more than just reading about these two dancers. It's sort of a, a history of modern dance in some ways. Um, I talk about their, their pedagogy and I talk about their spirit, spiritual connection to dance. But talking back to my, my work as a, um, un uncovering the essence of what animates us beneath the dance, I, I took a clear look at what is spirituality and um, you had to define it. So I called it divine imminence. So, and I found other people describing something very similar to that, but they might use different words. So according to my, um, my notes here, it says embodiment can be defined as the integration of the physical or biological body and the phenomenal or experiential body. So to me, that means we experience everything in our world through our bodies. We feel everything we see, we hear, but people, they, they seem to forget that they, they, they think we're a brain in, in this body, but really the body is how we experience everything and science, everything in science. If you do an experiment and learn about how to do a clear experiment, it's all about what you see. And then you write down what you saw and then you compare that. And that's, that's how science, scientific um, evidence is collected. Right. <clears throat> so to me, the, the idea that um, we can dance and feel and learn something about ourselves through this movement, the inner self, that connection. And then if you look at uh, any spiritual dance um, methodologies, you know, there's all a huge array, right? How different people have found some beauty or satisfaction in um, dance and, and they're expressing something. What are they expressing? They're thankful. It's, uh, I did a whole look at um, early dance, like dance has been around since time immemorial, right? And people use dance to worship whatever they believed in. So we somehow move dance into this box where it's something some people do you go to a performance and these are highly trained fabulous dancers right um and then you you don't think you have the right to dance if you're mm -hmm. not this huge this very high caliber trained person well that's what i learned at the hanover school everybody should be dancing and that was the philosophy of Rudolf Laban in fact Rudolf Laban started out working for the Nazis but they fired him because he wanted to have these movement choirs and he had all these ideas you know about expressing with the body and they didn't want that so he he had to get out of he, he left Germany and, and went to England and as a refugee so interestingly that's how he ended up in England but I find it very interesting um, his philosophy that, you know, dancing is a healthy way to move our bodies, but also to connect with the spiritual. And that can mean something different to everybody. 
it's not a religion, right? It's a, it's a feeling. It's a, um, I, I also looked at, um, there's this famous author called um, Chitra Bahali, and he looks at flow and all sorts of physical ways that people get a high from movement. So some people are runners, bicyclists, swimmers, and then there's the dancer, right? So we're, we're somehow connecting ourselves through our movement. And I think it's all legitimate, like the, the runner's high, the, we're, it's not just a inner like response um, with hormones or what, what do they call it? Um, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Endorphins. Yeah. Endorphins. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's something else too. So what that is, how that is, is it a mystery? <laughs> I mean, prayer is a mystery, right? I mean, and so. I think it's a mystery to people who don't do it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Right. Because when you do it, it, I think it all makes perfect sense. I mean, if, if you are doing spiritual dance or sacred dance, I think that everyone who does that is going to know what you're talking about. But it's not about it. It's, it's not easy to define or explain because it is a feeling. I think we're, oh no, you're frozen. I don't know why. But yes, yes, I, I feel that um, spiritual dance is something that is individual, but people can join others. And I think it's not about performance though. It's about your no. own self, right? So what I was saying about how um, my teachers and they learned from Rudolf Lavin and Mary Wigman that we are all dancers, but we need to, um, and Mary Wigman, she definitely wanted people to explore their own dance and their own movement. She didn't want them to copy her either. You know, she very interestingly. Did she have her own modality or she? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she had her own technique and uh she had you know the bare feet the at that time she um she i i've written in the book i've i describe a, a class gertrude described to me the class that uh usually uh, the kind of class that she would teach and um she had thousands of students all over she had schools all over germany she was prolific in her work and in her teaching. So, um, but I wanted to mention, we're talking about spiritual dance. Rudolf Lavin's dad, his father was in the military and he was stationed somewhere where he saw Sufi dance when he was a boy, which is very interesting. And that stuck with him, that what he saw and that connection he saw. And Mary Wigman also was into the, the turning dervish turning they called it (laughs) she was also into that so she said it it gave her this focus that she needed to to dance and choreograph so very interesting i was uh when i was very young i traveled um i did the overland to india from europe and i remember we were in afghanistan and we pull up at night in this bus and i see these uh, lights you know and i saw these men, I didn't know what they were at the time, Sufi dancers, turning. And I was like, fascinated. You're just, 
I don't know. If you have, if you've seen Sufi dancers live, it's, you can feel this feeling that they're projecting. It's amazing. It's, um, yeah, it's, so the Sufi dance is the, um, what would I call it? In the Muslim faith, it's the aesthetic um, sect. I don't know. What would you call it? Well, the, the Sufis Sufi. are a sect. Yeah. Yeah, so. of Muslim faith. But I mean, yeah. yeah so it's uh, esoteric is the word maybe or. Mm -hmm. But yes. um, I, I love uh, Rumi. He does talk about dance um, quite a mm -hmm. in several poems he talks about dance and uh what did i i wrote one down i was going to put on something rather what did he say he said uh oh i don't know where i put that i can't find it but anyway he talks about dance in several poems it's beautiful um if you want to explore uh movement uh with poetry he's he's got it's i don't know i can't even explain it you just go oh yeah it's a feeling of um of looking at um, the world in a different way when you read poetry. So <clears throat> I wanted to mention my supervisor, Celeste Snowber, is a professor at Simon Fraser University, but she's a poet and a dancer. And she's written so many books that have inspired me to look at spirituality and dance and the body um, in new ways. And uh, she's very prolific. Um, she's just recently uh, published a book of poetry about uh, she's Armenian heritage <coughs> and it's um, that's very interesting it's beautiful and she does uh, I just went on a poetry walk uh, dance walk at the UBC Botanical Garden where she walks us a crowd through dances and does poetry with the trees and that was the, yeah. the magnolias have just come out here it was beautiful so uh, her she's got another book coming out very soon uh, which explores um, dancing uh, outside in environments so I, I was just part of a um, you is I think it's on YouTube it's um, it was for a, a local hospice in in New Westminster which is a little city and we all contributed there's 35 of us we contributed us dancing outside in some environment. It's, oh, I, I, I didn't know any of the people. I, I think I know two of the other people. <coughs> Sorry, but it was fascinating watching everyone's creative take on a spiritual kind of connection to the earth. Like, it was wow. fascinating. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, being part of that. Mine was in the snow because it was it had really snowed heavily. And so I... Um, I was wearing a big fur coat and I danced outside in the snow. Well, yeah, you were expressing that that season. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. I think Sorry. it's wonderful that you that you knew these women. You know, that that brings a whole nother dimension to because yes, you can write a biography about someone or the sisters, but Sorry. that you actually knew them, I think that really makes it personal and and allows you to to bring some dimension into it that uh, most people would not be able to do in a biography and it's i have to stress that it's it's a biography sorry I'm it's a biography but it's my take 
So another Hanover student, they might write a different book. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Their experience with them might have been different. But for me as a child, um, especially in these, you know, you're becoming a teenager, like 12, 13. It was like the swing in 60s, right? And it was, there's a lot of danger around for young girls and women. And they gave me this place to go where I could just be my, be this other person. Like I felt, I know, you know, we were, we were very well trained actually with the Hanover sisters. We would start every class with a Delcroix kind of warm up of swinging your arms and undulating your spine. And, and it was always fun to music. And then we did yoga with Gertrude and um, we really concentrated on flexibility, strength and balance. And then we always did bar, Magda led the bar. And it was, I mean, it was quite rigorous, right? And then we would go into the middle of the floor and do, uh, learn the, the um, <clears throat> Laban elements and then how to apply those to choreography. And there were specific um, Hanover moves that they'd learned in India, which they said were based on the figure of eight. <coughs> and we would, you know, I'm not used to talking very much, so I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> my voice is going funny. And we learned all these movements so that when we went to do choreography and improvise, we had a structure. We weren't just, you know, moving mm -hmm. around. We had a definite way of looking at, uh, they like to talk about dynamics a lot. So you can put strength into movement or make it a flow. And the face and the expression was very important too, right? And their themes, when I look back in my book, I really, I look at, you know, the 60s, the 70s, 80s and 90s. I look at the themes that they um, were drawn to exploring. They didn't force people, especially in private classes, they left it up to that person to decide what they wanted to dance about. So their egos, I mean, yes, they, they loved that people came to their performances and, you know, they cared very much that things were done properly and, and that, you know, it was professional present, the presentation was well presented, but they didn't have an ego that they had to make everything about them. And so that they had this knack of, when I was a child, I started out just in, you know, a big kind of like class my age group. But then as I got a little bit older, like 15, 16, I started uh, taking private classes. And I also um, joined a little production group. So we danced around the Vancouver at the Art Gallery and various places. But and we had to make it very polished, our performance, right? It couldn't just be, you know, they wanted to show something. Um, and they talked about their methodologies and their style. But when you think about it, it was that connection I had with them that they cared about each person and drawing out of them their personal talent and strengths. So when you danced, you weren't trying to fit into their mold of how to look, which is pretty special. And I think that's why mm -hmm. when I got older, I kept going, I, you know, I tried different other places. Like I went to the university and uh, UBC and I, took Graham trained stuff and I did, the, you know, it was, it was interesting learning that, but you had to be, you had to mold your body to do Graham technique. You, you, it wasn't about you. It was, that was, and same with um, when I went to university in Alberta, I was really lucky. 
I could take a whole bunch of electives, even though I was training to be a teacher. And um, there was this um, wonderful professor, Dorothy Harris, who trained with Margaret Dobler. Margaret Dobler was uh, from Wisconsin. And I don't know if you've ever heard of her book, um, Dance as an Artistic Experience. She was the first person to have a dance uh, program at a university in North America. And her book explores, I mean, it could be the Hannah was wrote it. It was all about what dance is and how uh, we're, we're, so her famous line is, um, every child in a school is given crayons and pencils and paper to learn to, to draw and, and create art. But we're not given dance tools. We're not taught to dance, right? We're not in you know, imbued with that, um, that what she feels is a basic human need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, for some reason, that has become marginalized in, in I, I don't know about Egypt, but in North American culture, definitely, right? So, I mean, if you look, I know that I'm um, not really into all these um, online things, but I see my husband shows me, you know, everyone's dancing right on these, uh, these sites and uh but what is the dance is it to show off is it to get likes you know is it is it yeah. um, i mean i'm a sure different yeah it has a different yeah. purpose probably no oh. yes so those people look like they're really enjoying themselves so i'm happy that they're enjoying themselves but it's is you know when we're coming back to spiritual dance it's it's not about getting likes is it <laughs> it's no. about our own inner, I don't know. I mean, your inner experience. And as we get older, for me, it's really changed that space inside of me. It's, I understand it more now. I, I feel it's not as hard to find. It's there still. It's, it's, uh, it's part of me that I don't question anymore. I've, um, I've become, I, I've become my mother. <laughs> I laugh because my mother loved, <laughs> she liked to sit in the sun and enjoy plants around her, you know, and it, she looked so content, right? Doing that. Like she, she understood something and, you know, now I don't work. I've, I've retired. I get it. I sit outside in my yard and I just, <laughs> I watch like these little plants growing and I'm like, Oh, this is so beautiful. Look, my lilac bushes getting little Flowers now you on. understand. Uh-huh. I do. <laughs> so I'm not saying that anyone young can't enjoy that or be that either. I mean, we're no, all and I think children just naturally dance, but I think it's something that's discouraged. I think we start out in that place. We start out, out in that place of moving and dancing and and dancing creatively and then we're discouraged. As you said, it's not promoted in schools. Maybe maybe drawing is or or even singing but dancing is definitely not and and it's kind of strange i mean it's not promoted in schools it's not promoted at home and yet it's something we started with so i guess it's discouraged in a way or we're focused in a different direction and so as an educator i felt uh because i loved it so much 
And in the most, you know, all teachers are people that have their own loves, their own enjoyment of things. And, and usually in a school, um, and, and the schools I taught at were like 400 kids, right? So usually there'd be a, a teacher that loved sports and they would, you know, organize some after school running or something, you know, and, and so I would organize things to do with dance because that's what I love, right? So I always at any kind of presentation, any kind of like a meeting we had once a month, we had a meeting at my last school, we all could present anything we wanted, right? So we'd have like this wonderful musician teacher, he loved music and playing. He would always have this singing uh, present um, uh, meeting every, the whole school every month. So, you know, I would, we would all contribute something. Uh, it's very theme based, right? Like whatever the, you know, if it's a holiday or something. And it was, when I look back, I've got photographs I was looking through of different classes and what they did. It was just, it's so fun to see what, what I did. I, I wasn't just a teacher, you know what I mean? I was still choreographing and, and channeling that love into uh, stuff. And, you know, when you first, it's interesting, I, I taught like 10, 11 year olds quite often. At the beginning of the year, you introduce dancing. And so I would get them to stand in a big circle. So it's not about me looking at them it's and copying me. It's about us all contributing, right? So we're all standing in a giant circle. And some kids would say, I don't want to do this. And I'd say, that you don't have to. Look, I'm not gonna make you. What just go sit down, you can watch us, you know, if you don't if you don't feel comfortable. Um and it wouldn't take long before they would join us. <laughs> <Because they laughs> Don't want to miss out either. <laughs> they saw how much fun the kids were having. And, and you know, I'd get them to do things. To sh You know, everybody got to sh bust a move, I called it, where they could show something. And, you know, you put on some music that they thought was cool and had a lot of rhythm. And after a while they lose that inhibition they mm -hmm. you know they don't feel that they are embarrassed to be dancing in front of people right um and then i got them to do a lot of group work so after we would warm up and and have a few laughs and showing things i got them to go into a group and i gave them criteria where they had to have a beginning and an end clearly like and then they had to incorporate what i asked them to do that day, they had to show levels, they had to show, you know, dynamics or something. So in the group, say four people or five, they had to negotiate together to create some little piece. And it was just very short, right? And it's amazing how that could be looked at not as a dance class, but as a, um, you know, a way of getting people to work together, mm -hmm. to yeah. connect, to uh, collaborate, but also negotiate. And so you, you know, I had to create these rules. So everybody in the, in the group got one movement in one of their movements in the piece, right? Because people tend to take things over, right? And run it. So there'd be people, <laughs> every group would have somebody that wanted to run the whole thing and get their the boss. You can't do that. You got to do it this way. You know? And I sort of made it. No, no, everybody's got to take their turn and get, get their own stuff in there right so it was really a way to um and and i didn't let them just create the group so be the popular people together i mean it's funny how human beings are right mm -hmm. it's like a, a grade five classroom can be a microcosm of uh yeah of the, 
of humanity. Like, okay, everybody, let's line up. And then somebody always pushes to the front, you know, and then there's somebody at the back of the line, you know. So you, you, it's funny how you, um, it's it's very in in British Columbia to, um, to foster um, uh, all sorts of new concepts in education. So I'm very pleased that they have adopted and into the curriculum, if you look, you can go on the website, the BC Ministry of Education, they've adopted all these native wisdom into our curriculum. Wow. And I'm so impressed that somebody had the foresight to do that. Yes. It, it opens up a whole new way of looking at people in our in our country and honoring them when they've been previously, you know, not honored. It's uh, it's wonderful. And and then they have these other concepts that they've introduced about mindfulness which you can move into, you know, you can look at as meditation, but you don't call it yeah. that because you don't want people that are to think it's something that it isn't. So this is before I retired. These were all big That's new wonderful. things. And I, I'm pleased that, you know, we are trying to create human beings in, in Canadian society that are uh, developed and whole and rounded, well-rounded and, and think about other things than just themselves. Right. Like it's, it's no, um, good for them. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, I look around and every kid, I have a 23 year old grandson. We had a great talk the other day. We went on a big hike actually together, but we had a great talk about his viewpoint about um, online stuff, which is not, I don't have that viewpoint. I'm, you know, I'm in yeah. this generation of people that we didn't even have computers yet. Right. When I was 20. So, I do have a phone and I do have, you know, um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook because I want to promote things, but um, I don't have that glued to it feeling like I, I, no, I often it's very leave, different. Yeah. I leave my phone in the kitchen and I don't really get that many calls. I, I And then once I phoned a friend of mine and she was astonished that I phoned her because people <laughs> are supposed to text now, right? but it's a different world. Yeah. And we were talking earlier before the podcast about um, a somatic conference that uh, you were at, I guess. And I just had a look online at all the present presenters. And it's it's wonderful. There are people out there that want to connect using yeah. the body and understand the body as a place of knowing and honoring our ourself in the world. There are people that there's a lot of people <laughs> that are doing yes. that. And um, so your podcast to me is just highlighting different ways that people can connect um, to what they think or not what they think, but what they know is a spiritual connection somehow to that vitality. It's, it's about um, why do, you know, when you say, Oh, why do you dance? You know, it's, it's about this feeling of vitality that you seem to open up when you're moving, right? Like, how does that happen? It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Like, um, it is. I, and it's so interesting to hear different people's experiences about it because it is very varied or very personal or very something you can really relate to. So the full spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so to, my message would be, you know, any way you find, like I've, I've taken many styles of dance. Uh, I dance, Right now, we just got to start tango again. I'm tangoing. Um, I'm doing that writing through the body with the continuum. Um, 
as a retired person, you have to recreate your whole life. And so I was, I, this project, this book I wrote about my teachers, I do mention them in a chapter in my dissertation, but it's more of a, a quick look at their lives. You know, I don't go into a lot of details or anything. I mean, I, I highlight the spiritual um, thing I got from them, that understanding about we're, more, we're not just dancing, like moving our bodies. We're, we're, there's something inside of us flowing and moving and, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. That's what I got from them. So that's why I included them in the dissertation. But I, I remember my, my uh, supervisor saying to me, and now you need to write a book about the te your teachers, a full book. And it took me a little while, but, you know, I, I had all the material and I, I thought, yes, this is, this is what I need to do. And it was, um, it's part of my story too, right? Mm -hmm. Because they, they influenced me. They were my um, important mentors and my supervisors were my mentors. I mean, we all can have mentors in our lives um, at different times in our lives. And so joining a class like a, a and I, it's so sad that we've had to not be physically with other people for the last few years. But I think things are just starting to open up a little bit again. Um, but I encourage people to join some kind of class. You know, like I, I before the pandemic, I took belly dancing, which is really hard. <laughs> and, you know, I've taken all kinds of ballroom dancing. Um, when I first retired, I tried different other um modern dance classes, you know, because now all of a sudden I was available during the day, right? I could do things. Um, but it, it's, it's enriching to, to, to dance and to move. And so, uh, you know, you just, you want to trans, uh, transmit that to other people. So, and, and, and I'm not. Look, and to keep looking until you find that one that really mm -hmm. appeals to you, some, some way that you feel you want to express yourself. Mm hmm. And we, we were talking about this before, how, you know, yeah, different strokes for different folks, right? Like what you might, we were saying how you might find something at this time in your life, but then you move forward mm -hmm. and then you find something else. So you can definitely um, keep exploring and, uh, and, and one thing might not happen anymore and then you go on to something else and i i noticed that you know um different uh groups are on uh facebook of you know the christian dancing you know there's a different in the church i remember when i was younger you weren't allowed to dance in the church that was a no-no and um i asked the pastor that I, at this little church i went to in Kelowna why we couldn't dance and he said um well, there's too many men that will look at the, the female body and think bad thoughts. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. And I remember when I was, you know, young woman with little kids um, and in that church and I, there was no dancing. You know, I, I wanted to create some choreography and do something, but, you know, I never could. Right. But I taught at the community center in Kelowna, the Hanover Method. So, yeah, there's always you know. another way. Yes. Yeah. So, well. And I hope people will read your book. I'm looking forward to reading it. And uh, so let us know also about any up and coming events that you have. You're, you're doing some launches. What's, when I are have. those happening? Um, 
Well, this is for Canadians in Port Coquitlam. I am having a little launch at Lee Square in Port Coquitlam at the Michael Wright Gallery on May 26th from 7 to 9. And uh, I live in a sort of small town suburb of Vancouver. So I know a lot of people in Vancouver think I live in the sticks. So I'm having another little launch celebration in, on August 9th at, a, at the gallery in Chinatown. So I'll, I'm going to be uh, posting things about that. But it's, um, it's a process when you write a book. Um, I'm an indie author. Um, and I feel that um, people can produce something substantial as an indie author um, but you need to get I had professional you know persons do the cover and uh, the formatting and the photographs I mean you can't just you know throw it out there but it it's a very satisfying process and um, I'm hoping that the Hanover sisters lives will be remembered because they're just two of many many people that have contributed to understanding our bodies and dance in our culture. And, and it's sad that, you know, the, the big famous people have biographies that people read like Martha Graham and Mary Wigman and Rudolf Laban, but there's other people that had that danced their whole lives. It was such a and special contributed. thing. Yes. And contributed. In, a, in a different way. Yes. In a different way. And it's just to read their stories to, sort of read a, a universal story about um, survival, uh, women as artists. I mean, um, I never went into it in a huge way, but women as artists have been suppressed all through history, right? And it was in the 20s that all of a sudden women were allowed to be dancers and you weren't considered um, low-class prostitute, right? Um, you were a, a young woman that was finding themselves, right? So this was a whole new thing in the 1920s um and they jumped on this beautiful thing and uh changed who they were but they had very supportive parents you know and uh i think wherever they found themselves on the all the continents they lived they created uh, a school and drew students because of their philosophy and their unique kind of approach to dance so if you want to find out more about Karen, you can go to her website, which is her name, Karen McLean. McKinley. Sorry, McLe <laughs> McKinley. Yeah. I'm dyslexic. That's Karen okay. McKinley, Kernady.com. <laughs> and I will put that in the show notes. And also on Instagram, same, it's her full name. And I'll put that in the show notes and on facebook so well, we have twitter as well sorry yes i hardly twitter though <laughs> i read everybody's and i go oh no yeah, I, I don't know i what have I an do. account but i don't uh, <laughs> i don't actually use it uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> that's just a whole nother avenue so yes. it is it is well, yeah. anyway well thank you thank you karen for being here today and speaking to us about your journey and your book and and the Hanova sisters i look forward to reading your book and um and i hope you have great success because i agree i think there are a lot of people that contributed and and they should be 
remembered as well. And I think these are inspiring stories of, of people who followed their their heart or these interesting journeys that they were on. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. That was my pleasure. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Well, let me just tell you about what's going to happen next month. I have Julia Applin. She's an award-winning choreographer and founder of Upward Spiral, and that will air on June 12th. All right. Well, thank you all for being here, for watching. Please like and subscribe. As I said, that helps other people find the podcast or the YouTube video, however you're watching or listening. And I hope that you will be joining us, hopefully joining us live in the future. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.